Hello, I'm Pastor Paul, an associate pastor at Living Word, and this is our podcast. I want to say thank you for joining us today. I know this message will minister to your spirit and it will build your faith. I know God will move in your life because you are a doer of the Word. Enjoy today's message. You know, we, we choose to celebrate His resurrection, the time we call Easter. We should recognize acknowledging his resurrection all the time because he always has something new to reveal in us that will change our life on the outside. The seed of everything Jesus did on the cross has come to live in you in a living form. When we say we receive Jesus as Savior, he comes in to save us, and we'll talk about that a little bit today, but he comes in and redeems our life from destruction. He doesn't just save us from hell. He changes our life forever. And if we will use our faith when we hear God's word, he will keep changing it up. I think of it this way. He will keep allowing us to bring upgrades to life as we learn of him. He is inexhaustible in his supply line to do that. And he does it personally for each of you. He put desires in your heart that he means for you to seek him about so that he can help you meet them. Or in some ways, he will exceed what you're able to do and he will bring change into your life that will facilitate it. Sometimes we're afraid of change. I'm gonna tell you, learn to embrace change so long as you know God's in it. And I'm gonna tell you, even if he isn't in it and it's forced on you, embrace God in the change and he'll get in it. Sometimes you're forced to make a change. We don't like those. You know, we don't like when somebody else decides something for us and we get to deal with the consequences. We can either bring God into our situations in advance or we bring him in in an emergency status when we, we, we know, gee, this wasn't supposed to happen to me or I don't like what this looks like or I don't know, this, this, this changes my plans. I'm going to tell you, faith stirred in this season to to do something with Jesus' resurrection. See, we choose to do something with it. If we choose to do something with that resurrection, we will find God implementing the changes we need to stay out of the changes that others would like to force us to do. He increases freedom and liberty because of faith, not because of need. So sometimes we, we approach him before we have the need, and that's wisdom. That's what we call desires. We desire our life to be a little more in order. We desire a better job. We desire more family time. We desire more time to do something for the kingdom of God. We desire more time to touch the lives of people around us. I I don't know if you think about this, but every major holiday I think about, what was I thinking about last Easter or last Christmas? What was going on in my life? Have I progressed? What was God speaking to me about then? You know, recognize that some folks only show up at Easter or Christmas. And for them, and you'll hear me address this next Sunday, a year has passed. What's happened since last Easter? What have we done with Jesus? What have we done for Jesus? And we have to take a little the honest evaluation or our faith dies in last year because we didn't do anything with it in this year. So as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, I want to talk about the need for that, the origin of that. I want to look a little bit at the Old Testament, what the the generations before us knew would happen when Jesus came. 
They were jealous of the life we get to have. So jealous, they call it envy in the scripture. God's people in the Old Testament that had knowledge of Christ's coming were envious of our generations that have enjoyed walking with him. We have an extra layer of responsibility that we have to embrace or we'll miss the great benefit we have. Jesus is still working to redeem our lives from destruction. And I'm going to use some illustrations. You'll think, well, that's a little bit unorthodox, Pastor. I know it. I'm that guy sometimes. Why? Because it sticks and we remember it. We remember things that connect to our life and culture now. It's not so unorthodox you'll say it's ungodly. It's just something I've never heard anybody use when they're talking about redemption. But I think you'll remember it. I know you will. I'm going to begin in Ephesians 4.8, a letter to a church addressing the power of God working in church people when it comes to Jesus' resurrection. There's supposed to be a, a working that happens in us that is like being raised from the dead again and again and again. Some of us experience that every morning when we get up and the alarm clock goes off. And we have varying degrees of dead being passed or dead still working in us. And we get up and pry our eyes open. And, you know, I have a, a routine. I pry my eyes open. I throw both feet out of bed. I get up. I go to the coffee pot, turn it on. I go to the, the counter and get a little drink of water. I eat some vitamins and sometimes an Excedrin, sometimes two, depending on the physical exertion of the day before. So my joints will calm down a little bit. I go get that cup of coffee that I expect to be ready in 30 seconds. I take it into the family room. I turn on Christian programming and start drinking my coffee coffee. I lay out my vitamins. I start praying and thanking God for the day. And I call it thawing out. And what I'm really doing is forcing this body and this mind to get in gear as though everything was perfect. And it's dragging its feet saying, buddy, I need a little more rest, a little more time, a little more energy, a little more something. And I recognize the older I get that, that there was a greater power of resurrection in my physical body than I was young. And I have to make up the difference. Understand something about your spiritual nature. When you were born again, you experienced a jolt of Jesus' resurrection. Remember that? We want more days like that. See, our receiving that from him depends on our faith. And how much we want to engage him to receive it. Salvation is not a one-time thing, but the first time we receive him as Savior, we're set for heaven. But if we want to receive him as our Lord, we keep receiving resurrection power. It was the easiest thing in the world for me to choose to believe Jesus could save me from hell based on what he did for me on the cross. It was a lot harder thing for me to understand as Lord, he could save me from myself, my bad habits, my tendencies my inability, my lack of giftedness, that he could save me to something greater than who I was, yet that was his plan. I'll tell you, it takes more faith for Jesus to become Lord because it's layer by layer and step by step and a never-ending process where we get out of our, our bed of the moment and say, I did not get out of that situation what I wanted or what I needed. I did not see out of yesterday the production I wanted. 
I didn't since last Easter progress like I wanted to this Easter. And we recognize there's a little bit of death still working in us that we've got to shake off, but we can't shake it off. We've got to take more of his resurrection to put that off. When he talks about destroying the yoke, that's one way to think about it. His resurrection power is anointing. His resurrection power does that. It doesn't take another person to intervene between us and Christ Jesus. He was our personal sacrifice. That means when we call on him, he's there to impart into our life whatever it is that we need. So this is to a church. When he ascended up on high, Jesus led captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. This is one of the verses I use to justify my primary love language. I like to give and receive gifts. That's my top one. Now, why, why do I, I say that? Because God loves to give gifts. He doesn't just get us saved and say, there you go, you're on your own. Good luck, be a disciple. He says, choose to be a disciple and I will gift your life with what you need if you will walk in some discipline. I, I've learned most Christians want the gifts without any discipline. I'm gonna tell you, they walk in tandem. One foot you can say is your gift foot, the other is your discipline foot. And if you want to make progress, you're going to use both interchangeably, back and forth, back and forth. You try hopping on the gift foot. See how quick you'll feel uncoordinated, worn out, and aggravated. And everybody will look at you like, what is their deal? They're not normal. Why? Our normal is supernatural normal. And it's the gifts of God are working in us and the disciplined life of, of living for Christ is working in us. And together it moves us not just into heaven, but into God's plan for now. In a couple of weeks, at the week after Easter, I intend to teach on, on destiny. You've never heard me teach this series because I have never taught it in a church setting. I have taught it in corporate settings, but it's really from the Word. So we're going to bring that in and it will help you discover some things about what it is to walk in God's will and how, how his will works the same way, operating in some discipline, operating in some gifting. Discipline we, we work at, gifting God graces us with. And there's work and there's grace and there's work and there's grace. And I hear the body of Christ separating those two messages. Some churches, you got to work for it. Other churches, God does everything and you just float along. Both have an element of truth, but without the rest of the truth, both are deceived. So what do we want? We want the balance of these things. It keeps our equilibrium. It keeps us moving. It keeps us feeling a sense of progress where we won't look from one year to the next and feel like all we've experienced is loss. We have to experience some gain. In this world, as we age, there are some losses that come physically. You just can't do as much anymore. I don't care who you are. I used to be the guy that said, I won't be like that. Oh, well, you know, that was, that was a little bit of faith and a little bit of foolishness kind of mixed up. And I've discovered since, you know, that's a great way to start the day. But when you end the day hurting a little bit and I haven't got everything done, the real reality kicks in a little bit. And I have to think, okay, how do I do things now? with others' help to get things done so that everybody can feel good at the end of the day. And I've discovered something that is, is not, doesn't take a lot of brains to figure out. You bring a lot of younger people into the scenario as you get older, that's wisdom. You want to know what scriptural wisdom is? That's one of the forms, all right? Why? Because we discover God wants literally, he wants people to work together anyway. But as he's talking to a church here, he's saying he's doing all of this that he might fulfill all things. In other words, without, 
without what what Jesus did leading captivity captive, and we're mostly talking about that today and giving you gifts, you cannot fulfill his destiny and will not for your life. You'll always wonder, am I doing the right thing? Because we get little glimpses of what God wants, and it stirs our hearts, and we think, oh, I recognize this is him. He's talking to me. I, I have a confirmation in my spirit, a lot of people say, or he just set me up to be able to do these things. And we think that's all there is to hearing the will of God. It's a start. But to progress, we have to recognize his grace at work. He's going to ask for things that are too big for us. He's going to ask for things that require the gift, require something else. And then he's going to ask us to make right choices on the other hand. Then he's going to operate in some energy and gift again. And People want just the one side. We've got to have it all. To have it all, I want you to understand something about the world. The way to think of the world, and this is the unorthodox part I'm talking about. When Adam fell in the garden, Satan took over the keys of possession and operation of this planet. And he put humanity in what I see as a, a pawn shop on lockdown. And everybody that would ever be born only one time has already given their life as pawn to whatever the enemy says their value is. And people that never discover who Christ Jesus is and his anointing only have the identity of what this world says they are worth and only will know them by who they say they are. And people in this generation, if I, I look at what's going on in the earth as, as a whole and say, what is the biggest problem I see? Identity. So people are scrambling in every direction trying to figure out, how do I figure out what all my identities are? Now there's a lot of identifications of everything under the sun. Spirit, soul, and body. Why are people doing that? Because God put it in us to want that information. And the devil put that information on lockdown until we are born again. And we, when we are born again, literally what happens is Jesus has paid the price for us to come out of the pawn shop. But most people never make it out because it takes another person to recognize the value in that person and say, I'm going to get them up out of this mess. And many times people don't know they're in a mess. They're happy being locked in the glass case with a light on them because it makes them twinkle a little bit. And I see people on social media doing that all the time. Look at what's good about me. Why? People are struggling for identity. Identity that has value. A value, though, that is based on what the world says. And the world's got it all wrong because the creator of the universe has paid the price for the doors to be blown off the pawn shop, but God's word calls people out of it. Otherwise, they just stay there. I've learned to enjoy shopping in places like that because when I go in, I have an idea of value. It's pretty educated, actually. My daughter's better at it than I am. She knows the, she knows the, the value of, of metal every day, and she makes a good living at that. I don't go to that extreme, but I go in. If something catches my eye, I generally know the value of it based on open market, and you don't pay as much in a pawn shop. 
So I go and I shop, and depending on the owner, the owner might say, oh, I put a price on that of $100, but today, or if I go, oh, and turn away, but today, they're in a mode to wheel and deal. Now understand, the devil's lost his ability to do that. All he can do is try to make something seem unredeemable. All he can do is trick you into thinking there's something about you that doesn't have value to God when everything about you counts with God. When we understand this, we receive divine healing more easily. He redeemed us from that. When we understand this, we recognize we keep changing and growing because of what he says our value is. So when the world puts you on a, a, a value based on your wages and your things and your education, God's saying, no, Jesus came to live in them and he has defined the value as far greater riches than what this world recognizes. And if we don't get in touch with what God has done, we will be limited to a glimmering hope of God's future instead of a bright open field of it. We'll just get a glimpse because we tend to believe the worst about ourselves because of the parts of our lives that haven't yet been fully redeemed. When a person runs a pawn shop and they don't know how to polish up their diamonds, they don't get as much money for them. Understand who the Holy Spirit is. He's putting the spit shine on everything that you will let him do. And what happens when you hear God's word, you look in the mirror of God's word and you say, I didn't know he loved me that way. I didn't know he would do that in my life. I didn't know he would do that for me. And he brings a value to us that he's already paid a price for. And understand, he paid top dollar for you to get out of the pawn shop. But I'm going to say this again. You need another person to act as Jesus' redeemer. When I talk about us reaching people, I want you to hear, get this concept. They're deceived into being in lockdown when Jesus already set them free, but they don't know it until somebody tells them and brings them out. Sometimes by the grace of God, we stumble on a message like that because he's determined I'm getting him. I'm getting her. But for most people, it takes an intention, the love of God working in somebody else to look in there and say, hmm, they've only got a hundred bucks on that, but I know that's a thousand dollar person right there. And if we don't see people through God's valuing system, we won't reach anybody. No. Isaiah 52, 16, and I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. He's talking about people that don't know him yet. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. In other words, that's us sometimes. Sometimes we're blind to something God has. And we get on a, get on a discovery and all of a sudden we get on his path and things work out faster than we thought they would because we got on his path or we saw something that he wanted to reveal. I will make darkness light before them. What does that mean? We get on the path and start taking these steps that I'm saying, grace and discipline, and he lights up the path, says they're on the right track. When did you last experience the miracle of God's illumination saying you're on the right track? I don't know about you, but I live for those moments. I live for those moments because I know God's showing me something I need to do about me instead of somebody else coming to me saying God told them I need to do something. Don't you love that? Most people don't love that. 
Why? We are made with one antenna to hear from heaven. We are made to hear on the inside what it is he wants to do. And we don't value sometimes that experience enough to daily go to him and say, shed some light on this. Show me what to do. And we have to look at our feet and think, have I taken the last step in what he's gifted me to do? Am I doing something for him? And am I giving him my personal disciplines? Am I being obedient to his word? Am I doing something for the kingdom? Am I obeying his word? And if we are, we're in a position of faith. If we're not, our faith goes on lockdown because faith works by love, and love makes those two feet move. Now, I will make darkness light before them and the crooked things straight. That means he's going to repair whatever's messed up. I like that. These things will I do unto them, and I will not forsake them. In other words, he's going to do that to you. That's what he says. They shall be turned back. What's going to happen? We'll get turned out of that. Whatever's on lockdown in your life will be turned back to you. Why? Because we're turning it back to him. Now, this is a people robbed and spoiled, but there's nobody saying restore them. I want you to get a picture of what it is to be lost. And being lost is by degree. Jesus already did everything he's going to do to save the world. He did it. But we're his agents in that. In this passage, nobody's saying restore or let's go get them out. What is this meant to do? To stir your heart to get somebody out. To understand you have the keys to the kingdom because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, most of the time you're going to encounter people who don't know who they are in God and they don't know their purpose in life. Sharing a story yesterday at the funeral, and this happens to me pretty often, people don't know what old-timey things are. I enjoy knowledge of that. I grew up with old-timey people with a lot of old-timey things, and I still like all of that. So when somebody wants to know the value of something, they'll, say, you know, they'll, they'll ask a question. Somebody wants to know what it was used for. Most of the times, I say nine times out of 10, I'm going to know or I'll figure it out really quick by looking at it and how it works. Understand there's that quality in us as believers. It's how Jesus works. He anoints us to see the value and the function of another person and help draw both out. Many times people are on lockdown and can't do what God wants them to do because they don't have a sense of value yet for who they are and what they have left. Or they feel like they've tried and their life is on lockdown. Or their life situation is full of so much responsibility and so much obligation that there's nothing left. I've learned when there's nothing left what to do. Call on the grace foot to take a couple steps. And sometimes you do need to hop a couple grace steps. And say, okay, God, it just seems like everything about me is locked up right now and I really can't do the things I want to do for you. Then he says, call grace, grace unto that mountain. That's scriptural. Call it out more than once. What do we do? We, we say, God, I want to be in a position. What does he do? He said, I will anoint what you pray that way. I will answer that prayer. Why, he's most interested in you succeeding in his agenda before yours. And if you will succeed at his agenda, your agenda will seem to take on new character and life and be better, and you'll be better off. That's what the word says. Now, many times you discover that they're, they're, they're secret treasures. 
I, I, I do this anytime I go out, and I don't do it as much as I used to. But when my daughter's home, I'll do this with her. We'll go into a, a shop, and she's got an agenda. She's out to buy some stuff and flip it, and she will double, triple, quadruple. Uh, she bought one item for $200 and sold it for $4,500 to give you an idea. That's how our eyes trained. Well, how did she get that eye? We, train, we help train her, okay? She knows how to do that. So what do you do? You get a trained eye for, for recognizing value and when somebody doesn't understand the value. Understand that's what the Heavenly Father did in Christ Jesus, and that's the anointing on your life. It's first there for you to recognize God's treasure in other people. And if you will use your eye for that, he will develop your eye for the rest. And you will recognize what other people do not recognize in opportunities. When people pray, God opens a door, no man can close and close the door, no man can open. That's what they're praying. Teach my eyes to see in your value system. Teach my eyes to go after people first. And if I go after people for your kingdom first, you will anoint my eyes to see through like x-ray vision through the priorities of this life and make right choices and anointed choices. And instead of getting more and more obligated to how to make a living, he tends to move to make that part of our life easier. Say, really, pastor? Yes, this is the hope of the gospel. God makes everything better. When he isn't doing that, it's because we're not cooperating. He has a plan for us to cooperate with. That's what redemption is like. Now, God laid claim to us in that pawn shop. That's what Jesus did when Jesus chose to come and heaven recognized him as the darling prince of heaven. It was because he was the one that would come and redeem the whole planet, everybody in it, everything in it. Redemption includes him redeeming what belongs to him. Scripture tells us the silver and gold commerce business is his. If you didn't know that, he likes to anoint people to do business. He likes to anoint you to understand value systems. He likes to open your mind up to opportunity that other people won't see. Many are saying, think, preaching a gospel like, oh, God lays up the wealth of the unjust for the just. Did you ever think how the just are going to get it? They're going to get it by obeying God's plan, by discovering a bit of divine destiny. God always goes after the people first. The planet came with the people. If you want what's in the planet, get the people. God will give you the planet. That's scripture. Now, many times I'd go into a shop like that and I would identify an item. There's certain things that I, that I like. I like things with buffalo on it. I like things with Indian on it, even though you're not supposed to call it Indian Native Americans. Okay, I like, I like that kind of stuff. Western, interesting stuff. There's a certain pattern of glass I collect that's very scarce, hard to find. I'll walk in any shop and I can recognize from 10 feet away if it's the real thing or if it's, if it's a reproduction. When I get close, I have to look close, a little bit closer to see the price tag, but I can tell by certain signs and I recognize that's the real deal or that's fake. And once in a while, you, you, you approach something and you think God's in it to do something. And I'm just talking about with, with people and they're not ripe or they're not ready, but you approach them anyway. Now, on a side, going back to the shop, what I'm doing in the shop, I'm recognizing the value of something, and then I look at the price tag. I say, do I have $10 to, do, to buy this $500 piece of glass? Because if it's only marked $10, and I've got $10, and it's worth $500, i am going to get it. Understand how ministry works in simple terms. Do you have 10 minutes to capture somebody back for an entire life? Think about children's ministry and youth ministry. 
How much time do they have left? Think about the value of somebody that's almost ready to go, but they'll get 25 people saved before they go next year. Think about the value God knows is in a person that we can't identify. Or we look at and think, I don't know, they're pretty chipped up and banged up. One certain piece of glass in that pattern with chips is worth $1,200. Most people say, but it's chipped. I'm not getting it. I'm chipped. He picked me anyway. That's kind of how I think of things. And the Heavenly Father alone assigns the value. And we won't get it with our natural eyes. We can't look at people and see what God sees or know what he put inside of them or how important it is to him to see them come into the kingdom. So important that he predestinates people to be saved. He knows everybody that's going to be. And if we try to figure that out on our own, we'll always mess it up. People tried to figure that out when I was a little kid. They would have bypassed this ordinary little kid. Thought, let him grow up and get some common sense first and straighten up and be right with his mom and daddy and treat everybody. Let him do everything right and work harder at school and quit putting gum in the girl's hair and everything else that he's doing back then. Many of you just like that. Now, our value and our purpose is recognized by the master. He says, fear not, I've redeemed you and called you by your name, your mind personal identification. We had a history that required us to be redeemed. I'm just pointing out what Jesus did, what motivated him. He knew he had to come. Isaiah 52, 3. For thus says the Lord, you've sold yourself out for nothing. That's how he sees the, the earth. And you shall be redeemed without money. The Lord has made bare his holy arm. That means he's going to fight to get this done. If you want to see the power of God, and the authority of God work more greatly in your life. We call it faith, but it's God's power and authority working through us because we line up with him. Recognize he's got his arm bare for one thing. What does that mean? He, has, he is flexing his biceps, which I should have you get up and do that. It's a better picture than me doing it right now. But he's flexing his bicep and rolling his sleeves up saying, I will get whoever messes with this plan. And I will help whoever engages in it. Why? He has an agenda to fulfill. If we want to see the strength of God in our lives, then we, we take on his job and then his strength will manifest through us. And all the earth shall see his salvation. That's his plan. I believe God is calling together things right now that are rightfully his. I believe that there's a great conviction coming upon people in the earth that know about Jesus to want to know him. I believe that God is in control of eternal destiny, not the world, not the government, not the devil. They all want to think they are. But we have a Savior who saved us to the uttermost. His name is Christ Jesus, and he represents the strong arm of the Lord who would come with salvation. If we'll embrace that, we will emerge as, as kings and priests in the earth walking in a kind of authority. Many times people like the idea of king, but you got to mix priest in there. You know, king is just like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the grace to do everything. I was graced with this crown of authority, so I'm going to use it and I'm going to get everything coming to me. That's entitlement thinking. But then there's the discipline of I've got it so that I can do this for him. 
And if we don't have the balance, we won't walk in his power. We'll be hopping along on the one foot. Yeah. I will bring your seed from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give it up. He's doing that right now. Many times when I pray, I hear what's on God's heart. That's where this message came from. I'm hearing what he's saying. He's telling the earth, give it up. Give what up? Give the harvest up. Give, give the people up. Give it up. He's talking to people who are running from God. Give it up. Why? The strong arm of the Lord is coming in saying, oh, no, no, I am jealous for you. I paid the price for you. I pulled you out of the pawn shop. I didn't pull you out to go do your own thing. I pulled you out to do my thing. And when we discover God's thing, our original thing is nothing, and the new thing is amazing. Because we we're living in, in a divine destiny, and we recognize it. I'm baiting you for the weeks to come on purpose. Say, oh, pastor, every service should have an altar call. We can have an altar call. I'll pray for anything today. But I'm going to tell you something. God wants to turn us just enough to have this great sense of satisfaction that comes from purpose, that comes from him. I know there are a lot of books discovering your purpose. There's really only one way. You pray and talk to the master, okay? And then look at what has, starts happening in your life. And pretty soon you're going, oh, huh, the compass is certainly saying, go this way. He, God's certainly speaking to me about this. Whenever we quit hearing what God wants us to do in the lives of other people, we are off track. It's always on his mind. It's always on his mind. Who can he connect you to to make a difference for both of you? Understand God's salvation comes back to you when you're reaching people for him. Something in you changes. The greatest maturity you will experience is serving others bringing them into the kingdom and teaching them and discipling them and showing them the way of God. And as you do that, you'll learn things about you and things that, that were holding you back will be broken off and destroyed. Now, give it up into the south, hold nothing back. He's pulling out all the stops. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the end of the earth. I've been praying that way. Why, it's God's desire to bring everybody back in to the family and bring everybody into a place of, of unity. You know, you can't get unity by wishing for it or preaching on it or asking for it or demanding it. Unity comes because people fall into divine purpose. There's no other way to make us all get on the same page. There's no other agenda that works. Now, bring forth the blind people who have eyes. Bring forth the deaf people that have ears. I'll tell you something, in some parts of your life, you're that person. In some parts of my life, I'm still that person. Why? I haven't seen everything God has for me. I haven't heard everything that there is to hear. And I'm going to say it this way, if I haven't, you haven't either. That's just a simple truth of it. Why? He, he tells me here, I can have eyes and I can see partly. Scripture tells us as we see in part, we prophesy in part. Why do we have to do that? Because we don't see everything God set us up for. Otherwise, we get a certain age and we think, I, I've achieved it. Well, then, then we'd go to heaven at 25 if that was all there was to it. God would just sweep us up and take us out of here. It's okay, next generation get to 25 and do. No, he keeps going with that plan. I believe he brings an awakening. First Peter 2 says, we don't want to miss the day of his visitation. What does that mean? There's times God is moving a certain way. 
we want to think he is moving in response to our need, but he's moving according to his plan. When our need, we have more information about our needs than we do his plan, we're out of sync with him. When we learn more about his plan and begin to make decisions accordingly, we get in synchrony with him and our needs start to be diminished. I'm telling you uh, inside information. Our nation is going one direction. God is going another direction. I encourage you to go the way of God and recognize you'll be trusting him or somebody else. Choose who you'll serve. Scripture says, as for me and my house, that means if you choose to serve the Lord, you get your whole house in on the matter. You get everybody around you in on it. Don't think, well, they've got to discover for their own generation. You are the path of discovery. <laughs> that didn't go over so good. We're responsible together. Now, Jesus paid the debt. Why did he do it? To restore us to the Father. Our whole life, everything that he redeemed. Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 tells us how it'll affect us. He is despised and rejected of men. We saw that as he was heading up Golgotha's hill with the cross. They were beating him and spitting on him and mocking him. And people that loved him and followed him were standing back not knowing what to do. He was enduring what, what Isaiah the prophet said would happen to him. And he was doing it for us so that we would not have to suffer the same thing. He did say we would participate in his death. There would be an element of that. Get ready to be despised by somebody. Just make sure it's the right end of the stick despising you. Somebody hates God, they're probably not going to like you if you're living for him. We have to be willing to bear that. That's identifying with Jesus in his death. But understand, after the death and three days came a resurrection. And if you will identify with him in that little bit of death, take persecution for his name, witness anyway, stand up for truth in the middle of everybody saying there's relative truth, stand up for the things that are right, identify that, that our ultimate truth is the Bible and stand up to its authority. You begin to do that. Somebody won't like you, but God will. And when God does, we get what God has. And that's what it is to, to live in the modern day church. And our life will be to serve somebody in this world. The spirits in this world are saying, it'll be me. And you have to say, no, it will be him. Once we, we line up serving God, what we're able to do is then, again, look out for others. Then last. Train those in your house to be last instead of first. It's been a concept almost lost in the last 40 years because Jesus is God on Sunday and family is God the rest of the time. Think about that. I challenge you to think about that. Why? The world's culture has come into the body of Christ because we're ignorant of some things. Now, he is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows. When I touch your family, it's like, ooh. And acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. That means he's taken them away. I'm going to pray that today that you're released from griefs. 
anything that's got you upset and down, anything that's got you aggravated, anything that raises your blood pressure, anything that makes you anxious, it might be opening the checkbook. It might be opening a bedroom door. It might be opening, it could be opening the car door or opening the trunk and wondering what's going to break down next. It could be anything. He has taken, he has borne it. It was put on him. That means we've been redeemed from not just the effect of that, but the cause of that. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It was a wonderful thing yesterday. I have to say this and in respect to your family, Deb. I, I watched the, the Bechtold family deal with grieving the matriarch passing. They were the most solid in their joy. While having some grief, they were solid in their joy and determination to look up and make the best of the time. There was a solidarity like I honestly have never seen it like that before to that degree. And I marvel at it. I will always marvel at that. But it told me something. We can come together like that as the body of Christ around everything going on in the world and say, it may be ugly out there, but this is who we are. And this is how we're going to operate in this situation. And we're going to bring hope in the middle of hopelessness. We're going to bring joy in the middle of grief. We're going to push out sorrow. I saw them pushing sorrow out the building. I watched as, as extended family ate a meal. I didn't hear any sorrow in the whole room. I heard fellowship as though it was the happiest family reunion of all time. I thought, there's something very right about that. And it, I'll tell you, this moment that we're in of all the grief and sorrow that we've experienced in, in the world makes a little bit of that look ginormous. But I think even after all this is passed, I'll still say, that was pretty ginormous. What helped that happen? The people of God cooperating with it. Everybody setting up for it to be more a celebration. Anybody can focus on the grief and sorrow. We can choose that or we can say, no, he took that for me, so I'm not going to do that. If I push all of that out, what's left? Joy of heaven appreciation for people that we have as long as we have them, their impartation into our lives, their sacrifice into our lives, their influence over our lives. I mean, you could even look around the room, and I'll say this. I looked in the room and said, this is a family with all strong personalities. And I knew where that came from. I know the matriarch and the patriarch, and I know the, the next level of matriarchs and patriarchs. They all got that. There's something we all have in our own house that blesses God that we don't understand has a great value to the people around us. I watched that and thought, what great value. And I think of every family this way. Every family's got something they bring to the bigger family. And it rubs off on each other. It makes us who we are in God, and it's a strengthening Surely he has done this, yet we, we, he was wounded. No, I have to back up where I stopped. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We saw that. But he was wounded for our transgressions. What does that mean? He took on our sin. He took it on. That means when we come to Easter season, we should say, Jesus, if there's anything going on, get forgiveness. 
We're going to have communion Sunday. You'll always hear me say this. Forgive anybody around you and ask Jesus to forgive you if there's anything between you and him. Why? We got to do that. Why? That says, I identify with what you did and I belong to you, so I'm going to do what you did for me, for everybody around me. If we lose sight of that, we will not reach people for him. We cannot. We, we cut ourselves off from his love is what we do. Now, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, or we'll say it this way, the reason we don't have any peace in this life was already put on him. The punishment for our life of chaos was put on him. The weightiness of wrong decisions was put on him. The regrets of not making any decision and then being caught in a muddle was put on him. Living a life that's too busy where we don't know the will of God was put on him. The things that, that stir us up to aggravation was put on him. Why? So he would bear it and we would be free. Now, the chastisement of our peace was put upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Notice the healing came after we accept the rest of what he redeemed us from. Now, I'm going to say a couple things as we close today. Next week I intend and I have asked and I will be fasting for the Holy Spirit to interact with you throughout the service. I believe there's going to be a great receiving from God. I don't know if any of that will happen in the altar, but I'm going to ask you, give God a little block of time. I know everybody will have plans. And if you discover somebody doesn't have plans, you will weave them into your plan because that's what God's people do. We don't leave anybody to be out there alone when there's a point of celebration. But if you will, give God from 10 to 11.30 to mess with you a little bit. Because as he messes with you, he's really straightening everything out. He's really fixing things as we move ahead. And I don't know about you, but I want that reassurance. I want to know with everything going on on the outside that I am enjoying God's inside information and he's got me. I want to walk out of these doors knowing that and having that reinforced and being confident enough in that that I can bring that to other people. That as we progress through this spring season, we're going to look at destiny and the plan of God. And I believe this is going to happen for you. As you put him first, he'll begin to show you ways to make adjustments that give you a more fulfilled life. He wants you to have time with your family. You are the trainers of the next generation, and you're having to untrain wrong things and bring in right things. If you discover sometimes what kids have been taught or told, you got to undo that. You can't do that by saying, that's not true. This is how it really is. No, you got to spend a little time deprogramming what's been put in there. Why? It's already been affirmed a hundred times before they told you about it. So what do we do? We go back and say, God, work in us this whole freedom called redemption. And understand what he's doing. He wants to take layers of your life and show you the value. Show you that what he wants to do through you is going to change what he can do for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your family in this house. Father, I thank you that in this region, people are waking up to right priorities. Father, as far as this voice will carry, 
your word will pierce the hearts of people and do the cutting away of all the wrong and, Father, a healing to walk in what's right. You're going to teach us more of your ways so we can walk in them and our joy will be fuller and fuller. Heavenly Father, I thank you that as we line up more with your will, we enjoy more of your blessing. Father, I thank you for making us the most positive people in the earth because we have this inside information of what it is you are up to. We will not despair at what's happening in the storms of this life, but we will look to the shore. Even if we can't see it, we will say, I know it's right over there, and we're going to keep pressing forward and pressing on to the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. And Father, we will live a fulfilling life, walking in your blessing and being the light of the world as you would have us to be. Father, thank you for this great family you've brought together in one house. Father, to learn and live together. Father, to live in a kind of harmony that is a witness in all the earth. Father, I thank you for the commitment it takes to do that, that you have placed that in us and you are provisioning us to do your work and your will in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. A special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It's because of you that Ministry at Living Word Church is possible. You can get more information on our website at go2lwc.org. You can also give online as well. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with your friends. You can take a screenshot and post it to your social stories. You know what? You can even share it in person with someone who needs encouragement from God's Word today. Thanks again for listening. And as always, you're welcome to join us in person where we will worship together and God will minister directly to you. Be blessed this week and be a doer of His Word.